Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We are actually going to do the largest infrastructure bill ever in America's history. The more extraordinary the extraordinary measures get, the harder it is to put pressure on Congress. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Why wouldn't you try a primary against President Biden if he were to decide to run against You guys know you speak to a pretty educated audience, but that ceiling is a completely manufactured crisis. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The program brought to you today by the word inflation. As we learned in the Consumer Price Index, it's real, but there are very different schools of thought on how to fix it. President Biden says his own economic agenda is the answer, while Republicans and, well, even some Democrats say it's the cause. And we'll follow the president to the port of Baltimore, where he made the case today for his agenda and talk about it in a moment with Congressman Andy Harris Republican from Maryland. We'll discuss the big take a little bit later on. China evades U.S. spies just when Biden needs insights most with Bloomberg's Peter Martin, who shares the byline. And later, our conversation with NASA's Director of Commercial Spaceflight for Human Exploration as SpaceX prepares its next trip to the space station tonight. We've got a lot of talk about with our panel as well. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and John Stilidis, Republican strategist, principal at Trilogy Advisors. And we have news from the White House to start off with. President Biden will sign the infrastructure bill on Monday. In a special White House ceremony just announced, it's still sitting on his desk. The bill, that is, after the House passed it late Friday night. And President Biden left the bubble today, but he did not go far. Paying a visit to the port of Baltimore, as you heard live on Bloomberg Radio, to talk about the benefits of the infrastructure bill with billions for port improvements, talked up the reconciliation plan and tackled the story of the day. As he delivered remarks, that, of course, that story would be inflation. Today I'm here to talk about one of the most pressing economic concerns of the American people, and it's real, and that is getting prices down, number one. Number two, making sure our stores are fully stocked. And number three, getting a lot of people back to work while tracking and tackling these two above challenges I mentioned. This, of course, after the hotter-than-expected consumer price index hit this morning. Consumer prices remain too high. Tell us, the American people, in the midst of this economic crisis, the recovery is showing strong results, but not to them. They're still looking out there. Everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more, and it's worrisome, even though wages are going up. 
We still face challenges. We have to tackle them. We have to tackle them head on. And he says again that passing his agenda, including his approach to unclogging supply chains, is the way to do that. Still, the biggest jump in inflation in more than 30 years. And that's where we start with Congressman Andy Harris, Republican from Maryland's first district, including the beautiful Eastern Shore. Congressman, welcome for being uh, to welcome to the program. Thanks for being here, I should say. Is President Biden sure. wrong about inflation? Well, look, I'm glad he's finally admitting that we have it because the administration has been, not, been denying it for a few months. But everybody who goes to the store, everybody who buys gas, they know that inflation is here. Uh, I think most people believe it's actually higher than 6% and 7%, especially when they go to the store and they look for gasoline. And I don't think the president's bill, I don't think his infrastructure bill is going to do anything to make it better in the short run. You voted against that bill, right? There's nothing in Maryland that you needed in that legislation? Well, sure. There, look, there certainly is. But, you know, the Congressional Budget Office said that, that $250 billion of that would have to be borrowed. And that's exactly how we're getting the, uh, a lot of the inflation we have, is that we have to print dollars in order to pay for these bills. Uh, that's not the way to solve inflation, is to, is to pass a large bill and then require the federal government to borrow that money or print that money in order to pay that bill. But Maryland is still going to benefit from that legislation, right, the one that you voted against. So that's good, uh, I guess, well, for the Port of Baltimore and other areas. How, how would you tackle this inflation problem? Well, look, it, the Port of Baltimore does not help my district. My district is not in the port. Those ships that are waiting to enter the port uh, frequently anchor in my district. Yes, but they do. My, the people in my district are worried about the high gasoline prices, for instance. And the president's answer is to consider closing the Michigan pipeline, to close the Keystone XL pipeline. These are not ways to solve the, the, one of the main problems in my rural district, which is the high price of gasoline. So energy is one aspect of that, Congressman. What is the answer to price inflation across the board, though? Is it less spending? Is it not doing uh, this particular deal on reconciliation, for instance? Look, I, I think so. I think what you have to do is, is part of the inflation problem was due to the, to the necessary uh, increase in spending we had during the, the bad COVID uh, that we had uh, last year. It's much better. The effect on the economy is much less, and yet the spending continues. And again, it's not just spending. It's spending beyond the revenues. So uh, again, when, when, we ha when we are forcing the federal government to borrow money, to create the money, uh, this is an inflationary cycle that we won't break until we get our spending and revenues under control. Should the Federal Reserve start hiking interest rates? Well, look, I, that, that might be what it takes. But again, that starts a whole new set of problems uh, when the federal government went in terms of suppressing businesses, because in the end, we, we want business growth as well. But uh, as we know, if the, if the Federal Reserve begins to increase interest rates, then businesses suffer. Well, it looks like that's where we're heading after the taper is done. And there are a lot of questions about who should be running the Fed. Can I ask you as an extension, Congressman, are you worried about the idea of Jay Powell uh, leaving the building, a Lale Brainerd uh, in, in, in the chair position, or, or less of a hawk on inflation? Look, I certainly am. I think that Janet Yellen, uh, in testimony in front of the House and the Senate, has indicated that, for instance, she's not worried about a trillion or $2 trillion or $3 trillion deficits. I mean, I think that's very short-sighted thinking. Uh, the, as you in, as, look, as you indicated in the news, the cost of borrowing is going up. When it returns to historic levels, the interest payment on our debt alone will crowd out all the all the things that this federal government uh, needs to be doing in order to defend our to defend our nation, defend our borders, uh, pay Social Security, pay Medicare, 
all the things that the federal government has to do. It'll be crowded out by interest payments unless we get our spending under control. We're talking with Congressman Andy Harris, Republican from Maryland, who sits on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. With that said, Congressman, what would you have done differently? What would your infrastructure bill look like? Well, yeah, I'm at, now I'm actually on the Appropriations Committee, so I'm very worried about whether we balance the budget. I think the infrastructure bill should have uh, concentrated on uh, the infrastructure that we think of as infrastructure, uh, not necessarily, uh, again, uh, you know, electric charging stations when we don't have electric, enough electric vehicles to use them. Uh, we, should, we should strengthen our ports, our roads, our bridges, our rail. Uh, but $66 billion, for instance, to subsidize Amtrak is probably not a good investment. Uh, Amtrak is predominantly passenger rail. Uh, that doesn't contribute much to economic growth. Uh, And again, the most important thing, look, every American believes that we need infrastructure. I believe that we need to actually honestly pay for it if we're going to build it. Give us the view from the Appropriations Committee as progressives in the House leading right up to Speaker Nancy Pelosi promise a vote next week on the so-called Build Back Better plan. What's going to happen next week? Will there be a vote? Will it pass? Well, look, uh, the, the latest uh, nonpartisan evaluation of the bill uh, said that the White House has overestimated revenues by at least $200 billion. Again, that would be $200 billion that we have to spend. And, and as you and I both know, the smoke and mirrors in this bill is that all the spending is front-loaded, and the rules allow us to pay for it over 10 years. So the budget deficit will necessarily increase greatly in the first few years of this spending plan. And because of those new revenue projections, uh, by, the, by the nonpartisan uh, the people who looked at the bill, uh, the fact of the matter is that, that those deficits will continue even into the out years of the bill. I mentioned in the outset that your district includes the eastern shore of Maryland, and I wonder what your thoughts are on the, some of the climate provisions that are going into this legislation. Apparently it's more than a half trillion dollars worth, and it's targeted in many ways at districts like yours with concerns about rising sea level dealing with flooding and, and, and extreme storms. Is any of that possible to help the first congressional district of Maryland? Sure. The balance here is that the first congressional district also has a fairly, you know, it's a rural economy, so it's not as strong an, an economy as some other parts of the nation. So the balance always has to be what will the effect of all these climate uh, control measures have on our rural economy? And again, if we're going to increase the price of fossil fuels, of diesel and gas, uh, that is very adversely going to affect our rural economy. So the balance has to be, uh, you know, reasonable climate control changes, but we have to balance that against not harming our economy. And I'm afraid the uh, Build Back Better bill doesn't uh, have that balance in it. I'd like to, to get back to the energy piece for a moment because you mentioned it in the outset, Congressman, one of the great drivers of inflation right now. What is the answer? Should the White House start releasing oil from the Strategic Reserve? No, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is a short-term measure. We have to regain the, the advantage we had internationally uh, during the Trump administration when our oil producers, again, we're the largest oil export in the world, we should uh, produce, or oil, I'm sorry, fossil fuel producer in the world, we should not cripple that. We should encourage fossil fuel production as long as there's a market internationally, and that allows us to control the price of oil. The problem is that we no longer control the price of oil, and the president has to go hat in hand to OPEC and Russia, who are not friendly, uh, in order to have them uh, help us to decrease the price. Well, and they're of not going to pump more. Well. We know that, right? They have rejected that request. So 
Is an SPR release smart in the short term? And, and are you suggesting that we start drilling shale in Texas to get the domestic production back? Absolutely. We should drill shale in Texas. We should uh, start, uh, again, mining coal because uh, China has an increasing appetite for coal. Uh, they're going to import it from other places in the world if they don't import it from America. Uh, we have an unemployment rate that's high in, in, uh, in states like West Virginia, our neighboring yeah. uh, state. Uh, I think that, that we should, again, gain energy dominance, not only to bring down the cost of energy, but for the geopolitical advantage of not have, having energy used as a weapon against us and our allies, especially Europe. Congressman, I'm curious, you're, you're a representative from Maryland. Were you invited to the president's event today? Uh, no, I wasn't. Glad you're with us here on Sound On. Where we assemble the panel next. Congressman, thank you, as always, for your time. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You heard from the congressman after the hotter than expected consumer price index this morning and the president's address. And we're joined by the panel now, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and John Sidalides, strategist and principal at Trilogy Advisors. Jeannie, you heard the president today. You just heard from Congressman Harris for the Republican view. And President Biden has been consistent here. We've talked about it before. He's thrown down his cards. He's either going to be right or wrong on inflation. And after this morning's report, there are a lot of questions about whether he is right. How long do you give him on this? You know, and his remarks today in Baltimore, he tried to sell this plan, which he's going to be touting for some time. But it was interesting to me that he did focus on how it was going to help address inflation and supply chain concerns, not just the issue of job creation, which is how they had been couching it uh, Mm -hmm. prior to these numbers. I do think that that is an effective argument for him to make. I also think that these. How come? Where's just before you move on, Jeannie, where? Because we don't get a lot of details on this. Is it is it simply unclogging supply chains? Getting more people back to work could potentially create more wage inflation, though, right? It, it could. But I, I think the president is trying to make this case that this spending and it is limited spending. And I think that's what he has to focus on. It is not the build back better. It's the hard infrastructure that we need that infrastructure in order to regroup after the, the pandemic and to move forward and to compete with the likes of China and others. And I think he's making that case. But I do think and this is where I wish I would hear more from the president that they have to be 
cautious about any future spending given where we are in inflation. And to me, the biggest problem is we haven't heard that from the president. This investment makes sense. It's much needed. It is over a long period of time. Everybody from Donald Trump, Republican, Democrat, have been pushing for this kind of hard infrastructure. It's the next trench of spending that I think poses a real danger and that he's got to put the brakes on at this point and say, we need to wait and see where we are with inflation, the debt and everything else before we move forward on any of that human infrastructure. And that's going to be hard for him to do with the push from the progressives. But I think that would help an awful lot. John Sidalides, the president had Mark Zandi on his side, the, the economist from Moody's, who said, nope, this will be transitory. Number one, it's transitory inflation and the inflation, uh, the infrastructure, rather, reconciliation bills will end up helping that in the end. Uh, at what point are we beyond transitory? Would that be today? I don't think anyone knows what transitory looks like and how long it's going to take, Joe. Uh, You know, and there are certain tools that are at the president's disposal, and there are some things that he simply has very little control over. And I think the number one problem that we're dealing with when we look at inflation is the Fed's policy. The Fed is pumping out so much money, printing up, well, literally now with this new bill, another trillion dollars. Uh, to maintain our deficit spending, that all of that cash is coming into the economy and is the major driver of inflationary prices. Uh, This particular bill that just passed will have almost no impact on inflation, and I would say, for that matter, the economy, over the next 12 months or so, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that, first of all, these projects, uh, most of them, are not shovel-ready. So it'll take a while for the various agencies, uh, state and local governments, yeah. to complete all Probably of the year, approvals they and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And the second problem is that there are still regulatory hurdles that have been in place for decades, Joe, that make it very difficult for any of these projects to get off the ground without lawsuits, without NIMBY opponents and whatnot. So there's no guarantee this money is going to start to be spent any time in the next six to eight months. It may be until yeah. the end of next year. So I think this infrastructure bill is a political victory for the president and for the Democratic Party, but it'll have minimal impact on the economy for the next year. For better or worse, uh, apparently, though, John, just to be clear, the Federal Reserve isn't printing a trillion dollars. They're, they're going to be raising taxes to pay for at least some of this. Right. Are you suggesting the Fed should stop uh, the quantitative easing that just, you know, go for the tape or start hiking rates? You know, I think this is going to be a very delicate balance because if they start to shrink the money supply, that'll have an adverse impact on the economy as well. And so it's going to be a balancing act. But (laughs) But if inflation is the problem, does that handle the inflationary problem, John, is the question. Well, one of the reasons that we have, uh, you know, the highest inflation rate in 30 years is because we're spending beyond our ability to control pricing in America. The American economy is now flush with cash beyond what is reasonable. And all of that cash, right? You have more money chasing the same supply. The prices Mm -hmm. are going to go up. So let's bring Jeannie back in on this then. What should happen next week, Jeannie? Do progressives have an inflationary problem on their hands? Should that bill now not pass? And I'm asking you that as the Democrat on the panel here, this is something that's been in the works for months. 
It has been in the works. We still may see it go forward. But I have to say, I think that Joe Manchin is right about on this, that they need to be cautious and fiscally responsible. But I would just take a step back and say inflation is an enormous concern. I share that concern. It is not our only concern. Very difficult for me to believe that Americans think that we don't need broadband bridges, roads, tunnels, and airports in this country. That's what the bill does. It takes too long to get there. But we need yeah. that. And we need inflation under control. If competition with China is the drive right now for the Biden administration, for the U.S. government as a whole, this is not good news. As I read on the terminal in The Big Take today from Bloomberg, a lack of top tier intelligence on Chinese President Xi's inner circle is frustrating senior Biden administration officials struggling to get ahead of Beijing's next steps, according to current and former officials who have reviewed the most sensitive U.S. intelligence reports. A great piece of reporting, in part by Bloomberg's Peter Martin, who shares the byline with Nick Wadhams and Jennifer Jacobs. Peter's with us in studio. Congratulations on this great piece. Well, thanks for and I appreciate it. your talking with us, as always, about it. There's a lot to learn here, and it's frankly it's disturbing if, if you're following current events and the fact that we're on the eve, apparently, you can tell me if I'm wrong, of what will be a virtual summit of sorts between Presidents Biden and Xi. Will the president be going into this meeting blind? I don't know if he'll be going in quite blind, but certainly there's a there's a feeling on the part of the administration that they're really lacking um, access to Xi Jinping's innermost thoughts when it comes to topics like U.S.-China relations, what Xi Jinping's designs are for Taiwan, and, and whether he plans to rule China for life. Mm -hmm. The reality, you write, comes after officials in both, not just Biden, but the Trump administration as well were surprised, caught off guard by rapid moves to consolidate control of Hong Kong, protect military power across the South China Sea, limit probes into the origins of COVID. I could go on here, not to mention the tampering, if I can use that word, that Beijing has had with publicly traded companies. What are we doing wrong here? Is this a State Department problem? Is this a Biden administration problem? You're pointing out the Trump administration as well. So this doesn't sound like it's localized to Joe Biden. Yeah, you know, I mean, China has always been what the CIA calls a, a hard target, uh, one of the most difficult countries to, to penetrate its um, the upper echelons of its politics. And that's gotten much harder under Xi Jinping. Xi has kind of pushed aside potential rivals and, and reduced the number of people in his inner circle. And he's also cracked down on... Uh, you know, corruption in the system, which is a big problem for CIA agents who who might want to use money to to get sources. Is this not a CIA problem? Is this the agency? I mean, I think that yeah, the burden primarily falls on the CIA. Uh, there are other U.S. agencies, of course, that are active in China, but the CIA is the one that really recruits those human intelligence assets, which are so crucial to cracking that kind of inner circle. What do we know about their summit? We know that it was tentative. Maybe by the end of the year, is it going to happen? Well, the talk is that it's going to happen at some point next week, but the exact date hasn't been decided yet. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are a bunch of contentious issues on the table, uh, Taiwan, the economy, uh, you know, and wh whether or not the, the world's two largest economies can find some kind of stable working equilibrium in their relationship. Well, this has been kind of on again, off again, right? Do you see a meeting taking place that soon? I mean, that, you know, White House officials seem to be uh, pretty confident that they can pull it off. But uh, we'll have to see. There's there's a lot going on at the moment. There's been a major meeting of China's leadership um, this week. There's also been um, a little bit of progress uh, today with a joint statement issued on climate. So we'll see if that contributes towards a more uh, constructive mood for talking. Peter, many thanks for talking with us. Bloomberg's defense policy and intelligence reporter Peter Martin with us live on Sound On. And you can find the big take, of course, on the terminal 
on the website. And we bring the panel back in for more on this. Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour, along with John Sidalides, who is a geopolitical analyst and just the person we want to talk with about this story, principal at Trilogy Advisors. And I'll start with you on this, John. Uh, intelligence is hard to come by at the moment in China. How much more dangerous does that make this situation? It's been a very dangerous situation over the last decade, Joe, especially since the Chinese government decimated a number of Chinese intelligence assets that the CIA had successfully recruited in prior years. It's been a very difficult situation for us now also because of the fact that we have the most effective surveillance system ever implemented in the history of mankind under the Chinese Communist Party's techno-authoritarian political system. And so Xi Jinping has more rigid control now over all aspects of China's government, military, economy, and society. And it's just much more difficult to get human beings to help the United States in that kind of an environment. The CIA is dealing with uh, a decade, as I read in the column, Jeannie, dealing with a decade of Beijing's counterintelligence officials, which has really made it difficult uh, for us to get information on the ground. You're working on a paper right now, Democracy Versus Authoritarianism. How's that paper going to end based on what we know here? Well, you know, it, it is, you know, the president has long saying, been saying, and you said this early, earlier today, that he's been saying in almost every public statement, whether it's on domestic or foreign issues, that this is the challenge of the 21st century, is can democracy confront autocracy? And China, as has been in his mind, this is a slight change for Joe Biden, we should say, from some of his earlier statements like 2019, mm -hmm. but it has come to be seen as the greatest threat and challenge that we face. And, you know, he has he he even made this case in Baltimore today as it pertains to build back better. We are trying to put forward internationally something to rival the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. That's, you know, a bit of a long way off, but we're trying to put that up there. But, you know, this meeting, if it does go forward, is really important to try to address some of the tensions. One of the stunning things about this administration that we don't hear about enough was mm -hmm. the tension between Blinken and the Chinese foreign minister in Anchorage. That was mm -hmm. followed by the tension with the July meeting and then September with John Kerry. This meeting, if it does go forward, will be critical to try to address some of that and, you know, diffuse some of that and try, I don't expect we'll have major breakthroughs, but to try to see if we can move forward in some kind of dialogue. And that's going to be critical to the Biden administration at this point. John, if that meeting takes place, will it be next week and will it go better than as Jeannie's pointing out the Blinken meetings and the Yellen meeting, which were said to be contentious? My own sense is that Xi Jinping is too smart to act uh, in the wolf warrior diplomatic style of his uh, party comrades in those previous meetings. And you already see this in the letters that were released yesterday or today uh, in preparing the groundwork for the meeting where uh, the Chinese leaders know how to manipulate American public opinion by using phrases like win-win competition, right. which have no serious meaning in Chinese political thought. All right, John, thank you. And Jeannie Shanzano, our panel today. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. 
The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The tweet from SpaceX, Falcon 9 and Dragon are looking good for tonight's launch of Crew 3. Yeah, we're going back to space tonight. There's nothing like a night launch. The rocket is on the pad right now, extending a change of direction for NASA to rely, of course, on commercial partners to get back and forth to the International Space Station. We're going to talk about that in a moment with Philip McAllister's director of the Commercial Space Flight Division for Human Exploration and Operations at NASA. Yes, the politics of space, the risks and rewards have been part of presidential history for over seven decades. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. All right, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Houston out. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made from the White House. Tonight, I am directing NASA to develop a permanently manned space station and to do it within a decade. Today, I announce a new plan to explore space and extend a human presence across our solar system. And so, as president, I believe that space exploration is not a luxury, it's not an afterthought in America's quest for a brighter future. It is an essential part of that quest. We will not only plant our flag and leave our footprint, we will establish a foundation for an eventual mission to Mars and perhaps someday to many worlds beyond. That make you want to go. After a series of delays, SpaceX set to launch tonight four astronauts to the International Space Station. Crew 3 is the name of the mission. They expect to dock around 7 o'clock tomorrow night talk to somebody who's on the way right now to the pad the director of the commercial space flight division for human exploration and operations at nasa is philip McAllister. director McAllister, welcome to bloomberg radio thank you very much glad to be here so you're on your way to the launch tonight i understand conditions are looking pretty great for the next spacex launch to the space station we saw a successful splashdown of the crew 2 mission on sunday night are you guys go for launch we are. Uh, we just had the most recent weather brief uh, just a couple hours ago, and everything looks good from the weather standpoint. Now, that can change at any time, but at this point, uh, we, are, we're, we were all polled, and we are all go for launch. Great. This is the future, right? Why would NASA even pursue its own path to space director 
when commercial seems to be working so well? Well, so there's a couple aspects to that, uh, to that situation. First off, um, we are flying today to low Earth orbit, and we are going to go to the International Space Station, which is about 200 miles above the Earth. And that is a relatively um, easy mission. It's not easy because uh, human spaceflight is always hard, but it's relatively easy. So uh, we did it over 100 times with the space shuttle. We did it with, in the early days of Apollo. So we felt like that was a mission uh, that could be transferred to the private sector uh, and have them have more responsibility for the overall mission success. When it comes to deep space missions, that's still a little bit different. Uh, the economic situation uh, and incentive for private businesses to invest their own money and develop their own capabilities for deep space missions is not as clear. Low Earth orbit, mm. uh, it's pretty clear that there are other customers beyond NASA and government. Sure. Uh, space tourism looks like to be a very good market and others. And so uh, we've seen a lot of interest from the private sector to perform that mission. But deep space, uh, A, it's harder, B, it's more expensive, and C, we don't really see the profit motive, motive that we may see with low Earth orbit. So for those kinds of missions, we think it's still probably uh, uh, a better scenario where we rely more on um, NASA's expertise. Sure. Uh, not totally, and we see mixtures of the kinds of projects that we uh, pursue Sometimes we give the private sector a little more responsibility, sometimes a little bit less. We kind of got to tailor it for the mission, but I don't think all the missions right now are appropriate for the same strategy. Well, all that said, what is the situation then with, with your own efforts to, to get NASA back on the pad here with the Boeing Starliner, for instance? Do you expect the next demo flight to take place early next year or later next year? Yeah, sometime next year we expect to get uh, the Starliner off on an uncrewed uh, test flight. Um, we are making uh, deliberate progress on identifying what was hap what happened with the valves right before launch um, earlier this year, and I'm very confident that we're going to figure out us and Boeing are going to figure out what went wrong. We're going to fix it, and we're going to get back on the launch pad. We just learned, Director NASA's next moonshot will be delayed by another year uh, now to 2025, and it seems to be due to a lot of reasons. Is that a concern of yours that that timeline is slipping? Well, I mean, yes, uh, we're always concerned about schedule, uh, and uh, that's sort of a mission that, you know, I'm not responsible for, uh, but it is within my mission directorate, so I'm sort of aware of it, and we obviously sure. want them to make uh, good progress. I think they are, you know, they've got a number of challenges that they are dealing with, and I think the team's done very well, uh, but there's been sort of a culmination of a unique set of circumstances with COVID and with our funding situation being not exactly where we wanted. And of course, we got tied up in some legal, uh, some legal battles. Uh, hopefully, most of that is behind us. And now we really just have to get through the technical work, which is going to be a challenge. Um, so uh, all that considered, I, you know, uh, these kinds of things, they happen in spaceflight. It's something that we got to keep our eye on yeah. and we have to work hard to overcome. Um, but it's actually not unusual to slip um, a little bit uh, when sort of exigencies come up and, and manifest themselves. Sure. Well, now that you're through the, the Blue Origin litigation, SpaceX is back on building a human landing system uh, to put astronauts back on the moon. There's another commercial connection here. I wonder if the plans are to make a permanent moon base. 
Yeah, I think uh, our architecture with On the Moon is um, still getting some refinement. Uh, and what exactly we're going to put on the moon and what the infrastructure is and the timeline, we're still sort of, uh, like I said, refining those plans. Uh, but we do want a presence on the moon uh, to help prepare us to then eventually go to Mars. And we're very excited about this. Uh, you know, we've been working in low Earth orbit now uh, continuously for 20 years, and we think we're going to have to maintain a presence in low Earth orbit yep. for the foreseeable future. But to be able to look beyond low Earth orbit and going back to the moon and then eventually to Mars, I mean, that's what NASA is all about. And I can tell you the workforce is very invigorated, both on the NASA side and our private sector partners. And uh, we are just ready for the future. Well, I know this is all hugely important to the businesses that serve NASA all over the Cape. I can remember being down there and talking to a lot of them who were in despair following the end of Constellation. We're in a whole new world now, Director, where it seems to be boom time in going to space. What can you tell us to expect tonight? What are you going to be doing when you get there? Well, first off, let me just absolutely concur with what you what you said. I was here for the second to launch last shuttle mission and the last shuttle mission back in 2011, and it was very grim. Uh, I can tell you now, it's an exciting time, uh, and so we're really happy about that. For tonight, um, I am expecting and hoping for a nominal launch. I have come to love that word, uh, <laughs> nominal. And uh, so we're hoping uh, to get liftoff here at about 9.03. Great. Um, about this time tomorrow, we will have the docking, and hopefully they will be able to, the, the crew on board ISS will be able to welcome their new comrades and, and <laughs> compatriots and uh, be able to do all the science and activities that we have laid out for them for the next six months. Well, Director, there's nothing like a night launch, so I hope you enjoy it, and we all wish we were there with you. Director Philip well, McAllister, Director of the Commercial Space Flight Division for Human Exploration and Operations, just the man we want to talk with. Have a great launch, and thanks for being with us on Bloomberg. Thank you very much. Told you I want to go, don't you? I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and our remaining moments... We're joined again by Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano. I know you're a little bit of a space bug, Jeannie, and you're dancing to spirit in the sky. But what does this mean in terms of presidential politics? Every White House tries to get a piece of this. And I, I spent a little bit of time today when we were going through that little project, listening to speeches from each president. They all had an announcement to make on space starting today. We shall pursue fill in the blank. Very few of them, Jeannie, actually happened. Loved listening to that and your conversation. I'm excited for you, Joe Matthew, to go up in space and That's to do the fastest happen. hour in politics from space. <laughs> like so I'm pushing for that. Yeah, But no, I, I, it is fascinating. From 1958, when NASA was set up, you have everybody from Eisenhower to JFK, you know, various ideas as to, as to what can be accomplished, everything from defense to exploration to privatization, which we're seeing a lot about. We just saw Kamala Harris talking about how a lot of the focus of the Biden administration, still to be yet determined, is going to be on using what is going on in space to focus on the challenge of climate mm -hmm. change, so to address the okay, problems well, there's at Earth. That. Yeah, how about so getting back to that conversation we had about China, though? Won't this define our position in competition with China as they pursue the moon as well? 
It, it will. And, and I think that's something I'm waiting to see how that is addressed. We did hear some of that from Donald Trump. He had a, you know, a really expansive vision about what he wanted to do. So I do think the Biden administration is going to be following suit and, and it could be a defining aspect of what becomes our China policy. So waiting to hear more on that and Kamala Harris in charge of that. Jeannie Shanzano, thanks for being with us. As always, Bloomberg Politics contributor. We're going to be live from New York tomorrow, and I hope you join us here on the fastest hour in politics this same time. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.